Hello, and welcome to the Sapona Road Church Podcast. Today is a great day. It's the day that the Lord has made, and we are excited that you've taken time to join with us as we hear from God's Word. We exist as a church to spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We hope that today's message encourages and blesses you and helps you to grow and mature in your walk and relationship with Him. The Word of the Lord is powerful and life-changing, so let's see our lives transformed as we listen to today's message. So this morning, I'm going to talk to you guys about hope. So real quick, if you got your Bibles, go with me to Ephesians. We're going to have some church this morning. I'm going to get some of y'all white folk in here to shout. I'm try my best. This is Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. It's a prayer. This is a prayer that Paul is writing in Ephesians. It is a very powerful, powerful, powerful prayer. He just talked to them about the certainty of the gospel and uh, receiving God and, and receiving the gospel, your salvation, the word of truth. And Paul said, if you believe this and you will receive the gospel into your heart, the word of truth, Paul said, then it, it will overflow into things. So then he, he comes up with this prayer that starts with verse 15. This is a prayer of Paul. If you didn't, some of you probably never knew that in Ephesians 1, is, especially from 15 to 23, it's just a prayer. It's a prayer that Paul prays over the church. So listen to what he says here. He goes, for this reason, what reason? That they had just been sealed with the Holy Spirit. They believed in the word of truth. They received the gospel, their salvation. Paul said, if you believe the gospel, then for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord whom? In the Lord Jesus. Because you can have faith in a lot of things. This was a very seductive culture. This was a Roman Greco culture. They were not atheists. There was almost no such thing as atheists in these eras. They just didn't believe in a singular God. They were very pluralistic in their view. What got the Christians slaughtered was the Christians came in and said, it ain't our God and all these other gods. They said, it's one God and everybody bows to him. They go, whoa, 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 we're okay with you having believe, but you can't say you, your God is better than any other. No, we're saying there's really no others. <laughs> He is the only God, and that's why they began to throw him in Colosseums. They were slaughtering Christians like animals. Go and read the early church. At this period, that was happening. They would throw Christians in a Colosseum, and pastor, the stories are the Christians would drop their weapons because they didn't want to wound people that Jesus was wounded to save. So they put Christians in the Colosseums with gladiators and trained soldiers and give them a sword, and the Christians would just come and drop them. And the soldiers would come in and kill them, and they'd bring in another, and the people would cheer as the Christians were slaughtered. And Christian after Christian would be mauled by soldiers and animals, and they were like, wait a minute, wait a minute. We saw Jesus nailed to a cross somewhere. We heard the stories. He died for the world. He, he didn't call down fire on his enemies. Even in his last dying breath, he was crying out for mercy. Even in his last dying breath, even in his last, Kyle, in his last dying breath, brother, he said, Lord, forgive him. I said, Lord, call down fire on them fools right now. Call down the angels and show them who you are. He says, I'm going to show them who I am. They don't dictate who I am. I'm going to be merciful to the last breath. If God was merciful to his enemies to the end, what should you be to yours? He had every excuse in the world to wipe us all out. 
But while we're mocking, before you think that you're his mother and the disciples crying at his feet, you're not. We were the soldiers nailing the nails in his hand because we all brought sin. We were screaming and mocking him. And even then he says, Father, forgive him. He was even crying out for mercy while he was being mocked. And Paul said, you believe that gospel? Because they were being persecuted heavy. And Paul has the audacity to tell them to grow in their faith. He didn't say, pray that God will smite that man who violated your daughter. Killed your husband for his faith. Paul gave the church no excuse to wild out in their flesh. He, told, he was basically telling them, you, God has called Christians to be a certain way. And our circumstances and people's attitudes toward us should never dictate our treatment toward them. So if you got a co-worker who can't stand you because you're a Christian, that's their choice. Christians don't believe in some boomerang faith. No, we don't believe in karma. So if they're hating you, you can't return hate back. Christians are called to love our enemies. That's what Jesus did. That's why the Bible says, Paul, we say, imitate Christ, imitate Christ. Because some of you grew up with folk taking you to church, but they didn't go to church with you. You grew up with parents telling you to do right, but you didn't see them doing right. So you can never pull that card on Jesus. You're telling me to do right. What were you doing? He goes, follow my example. I'm going to tell you what to do, and then I'm going to show you what to do. So Paul was like, if you really believe that, and you put your faith in that God, this is what you should do. I've heard of your faith in the Lord and your love toward what? All the saints, even the ones that get on your nerve. We call the body of Christ. That means somebody's got to be the bladder. <laughs> Somebody's got to be the kidney. Somebody's got, somebody's got to be, it, it's, it's the body. He said, all the saints, all the saints. The Bible even says that this is how they will know you are my disciples, by your what for one another? Your love. This is how they will know you are my disciples, by your love for one another. Paul was saying, look, y'all are a small remnant of believers. Yes, you're being attacked, but y'all better be connected with each other. <laughs> I see your love toward all the saints. How are you going to go out here and convince somebody to come into something that ain't, ain't unified? Well, how are we going to bring lost folk in when they see us with tension and Christians can't love each other? We can't agree to disagree and still do life. So Paul is saying, look, I've heard of your love for one another, for all the saints. He was saying that is a witness to them when they see the church unified. They can see us disagree and still be toward the same cause. I got to introduce folk to Jesus. Period. We may disagree on worship styles. We may disagree on the spiritual gifts, but we agree there's no way to heaven but Jesus Christ. There ain't no other God. It ain't Buddha. It ain't Allah. It's Christ. And if that's what we're pushing, let's at least agree on that. And then listen to what he says here. He goes, I do not cease to give thanks, remembering you in my what? In my prayers. Y'all, in my prayers. Quit waiting to pray for folk at, the, at a funeral service. Start praying for folk while they're breathing, while they're alive and well. Pray for their children now. Don't wait till they start wilding out. They're you. You know there's greater chances for them to wild out than to walk in holiness. Let's go ahead and start praying over them. Y'all, I've worked with teenagers for over 30 years. I know there's going to come a time where my own aren't going to want to listen to me because I work with youth. I come in and I was at Freedom Christian. I didn't tell them kids anything their parents didn't tell them. But because I said, they're like, Al, you told us to love each other. I'm like, come on. You know your parents been telling you that since you came out the womb. But because I said it, they're like, Elsa, Jesus wants us to love. I did not come up with some new theology they have never heard. But because it came from somebody other than mom and dad, they'll hear it. 
I realize that. So I'm already praying for influences, Pastor, in my boys' lives. They're 8 and 10. I know it's a matter of time for them. They, they ain't going to want to listen to me all the time. So I'm going, Lord, I get, I'll get my ego out the way. Please send some godly men and some godly teenagers. Some of you, I'm already setting you up to be in my kids' lives, whether you like it or not. Kyle, you're going to impact my kids whether you like it or not. I've been setting you up, bro. He thought, that's so nice to me. Yeah, because I want you to pour into my kids. I want you to love my boys. I want my boys to have some godly examples out there. Because there's going to come a time they may not want to kick it with pops. But long as there's somebody godly, I'm okay with them pouring into my boys. Long as they're pouring that gospel into them. It's coming. It's not a matter of, of if, it's a matter of when. So I'm already praying. I'm praying for their wives. Yo, I set my boys up. Everything they do at the house and they do it right, I say, oh. When my wife tells them to take out the trash or pick up something, I go, man, your future wife's going to love that you're not a slouch. They don't even know what a girlfriend is. I'm, I'm, I'm baiting them, Pastor. That's why I'm brainwashing them. I said, your future wife's going to love how you, how you treat your mom. She's going to wash that. She goes, oh, he's going to treat me that way. I said, but you sass your mama. She's probably going to think you'll sass her. If you won't take out the trash for your mama, she's going to think you're going to be a slouch at the house. So everything they do around the house, I say, oh, man, my future daughter-in-law's going to love that. I'm baiting them. I'm, I, matter of fact, in my house, you, your parents can have your own standards. I'm not here to judge anyone. For me, my kids are never allowed to introduce me to a girlfriend until they are ready to man up and court that girl's heart. You're never ready to bring me a girlfriend. They, I'm not going to say they can't date, but I don't want them to date and break some little girl's heart. And I had to see that sweet thing in the town one day knowing my boy broke her heart. So when my boys are ready to man up and marry a girl, that's the day they can say, Pops. I got this girl, and when I want you to meet her, then I know my boy's got the right intentions. I'm like, the day he says, Dad, you got to meet this girl, I know he's saying she's married material, and I want to meet maybe my future daughter-in-law. But until then, they don't get to introduce me to girlfriends. They get to introduce me to the one they're ready to man up with and be a man and show that girl that you're committed. And then listen to what, listen to what Paul says here. He goes, oh, Lord, this is so good. Um, let me read from him. He goes, um, I do not cease remembering you my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of glory may give you the spirit of what? Wisdom. You're out of your mind if you're in this room and you ain't asking God for wisdom. Because ain't nobody here knows how to do everything right. <laughs> you don't. You better be asking God for wisdom every time you get a chance. God, God, I need some wisdom. I need some wisdom on this because he's got plenty of it. And a lot of times people get in trouble because they keep trying to use their earthly discernment. And that will get you in trouble. I'm telling y'all now, especially young people hear me at this age right now, Satan wants to tell y'all what you're doing now won't impact who you are later. That's the biggest lie he could tell you. Everything you're doing now, if you don't get it right, you're going to bring that into your future marriage. And Satan will tell you, no, it won't wild out a little bit. Give your body, your heart to as many people. Then when you get married, you'll just all of a sudden have this magical, beautiful marriage. And you two will be so loving and godly. And you'll just stare in each other's eyes and quote scriptures all day. Can any married folk in here tell us that that's true? No. Everybody in this room who's married, married the wrong person. Yo, why do you say that? Because there is no perfect marriage. The right one's the one you marry. 
There's no perfect spouse. You get two imperfect people together, eventually we're going to quit staring at each other's eye and we're going to start getting on each other's nerves. If you stay married long enough, according to the Bible, there's not a perfect marriage. So the person you married is the absolute perfect one, but they'll never feel perfect. Because that person's supposed to shape you into the most. Your, the purpose of marriage is to present your spouse before Christ. So that means you're supposed to be helping rough out the edges in each other. So it doesn't make sense to be sitting around quoting poetry all day and then letting each other have strongholds and bad attitudes and bad habits. Your spouse is supposed to be your best friend so they can tell you what's shady about you. They know the real you, and they're trying to present you as best they can before the Lord. But if y'all can't be transparent with each other and tell each other some flaws, then, then y'all are just playing, y'all just playing house. You're just playing house. You're not really married. Because we're supposed to present each other before the Lord as these beautiful vessels. That means I need for my wife to tell me areas in my life that need to improve. I don't need for her to be afraid to tell me I'm impatient sometimes. And I can be snappy, Lord, like, tell me that. Is, is, does that not honor the Lord? I need for you, the person who's going to, you know, who's about to be with me forever, you should be the main person to tell me where I'm being shady. <laughs> it's, it's common. And Paul said, we, we need to be praying for each other, and we need to be asking for wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. You need to get some knowledge. You need to get some wisdom and get some knowledge. <laughs> Because wisdom and knowledge produces actions. What you know determines what you do. So if you aren't putting the right spiritual things in you, why do I expect for you to have any fruit of the Spirit when you're not putting the things of the Spirit in you? You better get knowledge. You're getting knowledge one way or another, but you better make sure you're putting some biblical knowledge in there every time you learn some secular knowledge. That way, you're producing fruit. Everybody in this room is producing fruit. It's a matter of, is it good or bad? Everybody's producing something. So why would you produce fruit that's bad and give that to somebody else's family? <laughs> if you ain't got anything, the, the, the image of him talking about fruit is farming. And they always talk about, do y'all realize in 29 New Testament books, 27 of them mention something about bearing fruit? It's that important. Why? Because the idea is that if you're healthy and you're producing something healthy, you can feed someone else. The idea of walking in wisdom and knowledge is to say it ain't just about you. So if you're not walking in wisdom and knowledge, then what are you going to give someone else if you ain't walking in wisdom? You're going to give them some bad counsel. If you don't have any knowledge, you're going to give somebody some faulty information. We, we can hurt ourselves without you. <laughs> I can do bad without you. The last thing I need is for you lead me even deeper in a stronghold. So I'm trying to stay closer to Christ, so I'm giving you sound biblical wisdom and knowledge and not earthly stuff. You can do that without me. You can wreck your life, your witness, your job, your marriage without my help. <laughs> the last thing I need to be doing is pouring you toward some worldly stuff. I need to make sure I'm getting wisdom and knowledge from God's word so that when you need it, I can, I can give you the right kind of stuff. But if I'm not filling my mind and my heart with knowledge and wisdom, when you come to me with an issue, what am I going to pour into you? I might give you some Oprah wisdom instead of some Bible wisdom. Some of y'all use Oprah and Dr. Phil to counsel folks more than you do the word. Well, I did see Oprah show and Dr. Phil, what they got to do with the gospel? You better let this thing be telling you what kind of wisdom and stuff to give people, not all that worldly stuff. That stuff may sound sweet, but it, makes, it leads to death. Satan's always given a counterfeit gospel that sounds very similar to the truth. 
It's like right there. But it isn't there. Listen to what it says here. Y'all listen to this. This is so good. He goes, and, and verse 18, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. The imagery is that, have you ever seen someone with cataracts or they begin to lose some of their vision? It's blurry, right? That means they can't see as well. So he's using words they would get. The eyes of your heart need to be enlightened. He goes, if you aren't gaining wisdom and knowledge, it can blur your vision. I've had cornea transplant surgery in both my eyes. So if y'all look close at me, my eyes are blue. There ain't a lot of black people with blue eyes. It's because my corneas have stretched so much that all eyes are blue. I don't care if you got brown, green. If when your eyes stretch, you have blue. I, my lens covers my whole eye. It's not the little contact that most. My, I've had cornea transplant surgery, meaning I could not legally drive without these surgeries because I couldn't see. Everything was blurry. But the minute they gave me these, these donor corneas and shaved my corneas and gave me these lenses, now I have 20-30 vision. I'm better than the average person. Without them, I couldn't see anyone in this room if I take these contacts out. I could see your silhouette, but I could not tell you what color y'all were wearing. I, wouldn't be able to, I could go, there's a person, but I wouldn't be able to tell her what she looked like. He uses words they can get. The eyes of your heart. He was saying, think of your heart as eyes. When your eyes are blurry, things aren't nearly as clear. He goes, but when Christ is illuminating you with his wisdom and knowledge, it makes you see clearly, emotionally wise. All of a sudden, your heart can see clearly. Because if, if you aren't getting knowledge and wisdom, the Bible says the heart's deceitful above all things. So he goes, let the eyes of your heart be enlightened. Because sometimes we can mistake our hormones for the Holy Spirit. And, and we can just get caught up, I feel this, I want this, and I got to have this. And that's why everything that comes your way, you need to make sure it lines up with God's word and not just your hormones and how you're feeling. Y'all better hear me. Please hear me on this. Feelings will lead you down, make you make a lot of dangerous decisions in your life. I work with teenagers. I see them making decisions all the time based on how they feel. I really love him. I'm like, sweetheart, he's lazy, he's a player, he's a heartbreaker. She's like, I love him. I said, I know, but that love's going to get your heart broke, he broke. I know you feel it, but sometimes you've got to check your feelings and make sure your feelings are lining up with God's word. So sometimes you have to deprive yourself of some things you feel. You might feel it, but it may not be good for you. And sometimes you're going to have to say no to stuff that your hormones, your feelings, your, your, you want it. But in your heart, you know it ain't good for you. But you want it, though. I agree with that. There are going to be many times in your life when you want to do a certain thing, but you're going to just know that goes against God's word. I want, I want to go off on my coworker right now. But I know that probably ain't going to be Christ-like. I want to watch that inappropriate image, but I know that is not going to honor the Lord. I want to date that bad boy. You're like, oh, pastor. He's just so fine. I can't resist. He got no godly traits. He just got a six pack. He's fine. He's living the gold's gym. Good looking as all get out, but has no godly traits at all other than he looked good. You might need to check your hormones and go, that probably ain't Jesus Lead me toward that direction. She looked real good. 
Woo, she's fine preacher. But she may have no godly traits. Of, she may have nothing that would make for you to have a good wife. But she's fine, though. <laughs> and every time you see her, you double, triple taking. Like, woo, woo, she look good. But outside of her appearance, because what you win them with is what you got to keep them with. <laughs> oh, Lord. What you win them with is what you got to keep them with. Good luck on think you're going to look 18 forever. Good luck on now. How many green smoothies? How much yoga you do? Sorry. Sorry. It's, it's coming for you. Gravity's coming. You can do all the plastic surgery, everything you want. Sorry. It's coming. Just time, time skips. No one by. It's coming. So I always tell people what you win them with is what you got to keep them with. So you better make sure you build your foundation on the right things. And Paul's warning the church. Don't get caught up. Let the eyes of your heart be enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which you have been called. See, when we hear the word hope in the secular world, hope means it might work out. There's a chance. That is not what biblical hope means. Biblical hope means absolute certainty. So when Christians say we put our hope in God, we're not going, well, he might be true to what he says. We hope God follows through. I hope because the world says hope. They're going, well, there's a chance it could work out. Biblical hope doesn't mean uncertainty. It means absolute certainty. So when we say we have put our hope and trust in God, we're going, he is a promise keeper. He's going to do everything he says he's going to do. So we'll say hope like, well, I hope God really means what he said he'll provide for me. He might. I don't know. <laughs> he might have a good day, a bad day. <laughs> I mean, he might do some of the stuff he said he'd do. No, so when we say we put our hope in God, that means we got absolute certainty that God will complete everything he ever said he'd do. So Paul's saying, if, if, if you have these things, and this is just a prayer, you'll have your eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope of which you're called, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Paul said, I want God to open up the eyes of your heart so you can see true riches, not just earthly riches. Because if God gives you everything you want on this earth, it still won't save your soul. Y'all got to get that. Too many Christians are chasing natural stuff. And there's nothing wrong with stuff as long as you don't worship it more than you're worshiping the creator. It, I see it with the young people all the time. They care more about social media and their GPA than they do the classmates sitting beside them. They won't throw their phones down and break their phones, but they'll break somebody's heart. I'm going, once again, you're religious, but you don't understand the gospel. You care more about your iPhone and social media and your GPA than if you're going to get in college. And then that person sitting beside you who's made in God's image, who he bled and died for, you treat them like garbage. But, but you make sure your iPhone's safe and you're studying hard so you can get to college. But yet you will break the heart of someone that Jesus shed his blood to save. He didn't shed his blood so you can get into college and make your parents proudy proud. You're over here working hard to get stuff, stuff, and we neglect people we see every day at work who are wounded, depressed, anxiety, suicidal, and we will ignore that. And God's going, y'all are being religious. The only thing God sent his son to die in the world for is people. For God so loved the? I said it with your young people. The world ain't talking about your goldfish, your hamster, and your mortgage, there was nothing more important to God than human beings. Human beings are the only thing he let his son come to the earth as a baby who needed his diaper changed. Jesus had to get his diaper changed. Human beings are the only thing God let his son be drugged through the streets like a criminal. 
Days before, a woman was washing his feet with her tears and expensive perfume. Days later, they were washing his face with their spit in his own blood. They were mocking him. They stripped him naked and whipped him and took him to Golgotha, which is the Jewish word. It's a junkyard, by the way. He was, he was crucified in a junkyard. It's where you took feces and dead animals and stuff. They even crucified him in a junkyard. That's all Golgotha was. It was a glorified junkyard where you take trash. and It was stuff where you took sanitation because you didn't want the city to get sick. So they didn't just mock him, Pastor. They humiliated him. They humiliated him. They did all of that. He went through all of that. The only thing God let Jesus go through that kind of mockery for is you. So I can tell you how much you, how mature you are in your walk by watching how you treat people. People, not how many scriptures you can quote, how many books you've read, how many famous preachers and people you know, how many TV shows, how many conferences you've been to. I ain't say none of that. I'm watching how you treat his creation because he put nothing above them. And Paul understood that. <laughs> this is the riches of the inheritance of the saints. We get to have his character, his knowledge, his wisdom. The, the greatest thing God gives us is his character. He connects us. He saves our soul. And then he makes us like him because he understands that's the greatest witnessing tool he can give me is all his character traits. Because if I got his character traits, I can help you in all kinds of areas in your life. Not just how to get your finances better, I can also help you how to get your emotional state better. I can help you as a holistic person when I got Christ's characteristics in me. That's the greatest inheritance he gives us, is he gives us Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's what people need, y'all. And if you're a Christian, you're the wealthiest individual walking the planet. You have what the world needs. Bill Gates can't buy a salvation. God's made his, his, God's made his gates out of giant pearls. A billionaire is on welfare in heaven. God values you so much that John, the revelator, said the streets of heaven, pastor, he said they're unlike gold. They're like unto gold. He didn't know a real word. We say their goal, if you really treat the true context, that was the only word he knew to use. That means what people worship here, God's going to let you walk on it as gravel. You're so important to him. Gold is crazy expensive. If you got a lot of it, you are filthy rich. And God is saying, you're so precious to me. Stuff that they'll kill you for on this earth, I died so you could walk on that stuff. There's nothing more precious to me than you. And I'm going to let you walk on that gold that people worship. They want around their necks and on their rings. He says, what I want around me is you. People want stuff, but you're my greatest glory. The earth was created for our pleasure, but we were created for his. There's no greater inheritance than having the very nature of God. You are what's most precious to my Savior. People are. And Paul's praying, and I got to hurry that we'll get this real quick. Y'all, just two more minutes. Listen to it. What is the immeasurable greatness? Listen, to it. he goes, 
The eyes of our hearts enlightened, verse 19, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward those of us who believe according to the working of his great might. Listen to verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised them from the dead and seated them at the right hand in heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in the age but also in the one to come. And then verse 22, as I close, listen to this. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. He goes, he's given Christ authority over all. And if you are in Christ, you are his representation on this earth. Not only did God die to save you, now he's going to use you to reflect his glory. Sometimes we don't, I don't even feel like I can lead my wife and children sometimes. And God said, yeah, but I'm going to use you to be a reflection of my glory on this planet. Very few people come to Christ just through a dream. God, Jesus showed up in a dream. 99% of people who are saved, they met someone who had his spirit in them. Very few people were like, I never heard of Jesus. I just riding down the road and Jesus showed up in my car. That's, some people may say that. But the bulk of us, we met people who were spirit-filled. They started witnessing to us. We saw God in them. And it just opened up our minds and our hearts. That's the main way most people come to Christ is through Christ followers. People whom Jesus is shining his glory and his power through. You don't have to like it, but it shows that God believes in us more than we believe in us. Come on. God believes in us more than we believe in us. You are the hope that the world needs. And if you have Christ in you, you have more than enough to offer your coworkers, your classmates, your family, your friends, your bosses. Your... You didn't save yourself. Then you're not going to be the one to sustain yourself either. Christ in you. He's the hope of glory. Quit thinking that you can do it because you can't, but he can. Preach, I can't forgive people. No, you can't, but he can. I can't walk in that kind of hope. No, you can't, but he can. I can't forgive people who wounded me. No, you can't, but he can. My marriage has always been average. No, no, it'll stay average if you're trying to do it. I can't forgive people who wounded me. No, you can't, but he can. I can't love this way. No, you can't. And he's waiting for you to say you can't. But, Lord, I know you can. I can't. You can. Pray with me. Father, we love you. We thank you for your gospel. Jesus, you are so good. Father, may we put our hope and absolute certainty in whom you are and what you have accomplished. As as East Paul said, because you, you conquered the death and you were raised from the dead. And we put our hope in that. We have absolute certainty that if you could conquer death in the grave, there's nothing you can't resurrect in our life, Lord Jesus. So, Father, we're not just asking for you to save our souls. We're asking for you to make us like you. Give us your mindset. Lord, give us, open up the eyes of our hearts. If we've hardened our hearts to your word, if we've hardened our heart and our minds to, to saying yes to you, Father, may you overwhelm us with your goodness right now, Lord Jesus. For, Lord, your word says it is the goodness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. Overwhelm us with your goodness this morning. Father, thank you for being so patient with all of us. Thank you that you're a God of second chances. Thank you, Lord, that you don't dangle our sins and failures and shortcomings over us, but that you're reminding us 
that nothing we can do will ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our sin will never top your grace. Our sins will never top your grace. Our sins will never top your grace. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. You're greater than any of my mistakes. You're greater than any of my, my shameful thoughts. You're greater than any of my past decisions and failures. You are greater than. Do a miracle in this place. If there's anyone listening, watching in this room who doesn't know you, may your Holy Spirit just come over them now and, and bring them to their knees. Those, Lord, who just felt abandoned, like where have you been? Remind them, Lord, that you've been carrying them the whole time. The whole time they were swinging at you, they were piggyback riding. They didn't even get themselves this far. They thought they did. Father, show yourself to us. And then, Lord, get us outside of these church walls and send us to a lost and dying world that needs the beautiful gospel. We love you, Father. We thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are. Bless us as we go. Give us your strength and your wisdom, your discernment. Give us knowledge that we can use so that we can bear good fruit, so that we have something healthy to share with others that are eating that bad fruit that the enemy's given them. It looks good on the outside, but it's killing them. Sin leads to death, but Lord, your grace and your good news leads to life and life more abundantly. We love you. We praise you. We give you all the glory and all of God's people. Say it. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. And may the Lord bless you. We are so happy that you joined us today. If you are interested in learning about or giving to this ministry, you can find more information at saponaroadchurch.com. If you are local to the Fayetteville, North Carolina area, our meeting times are 1045 a.m. Sunday mornings and 7 o'clock p.m. Wednesdays for our connect groups. From all of us here at Sapona Road Church, we hope that you have a great day as you walk in the Lord's favor and blessing.